Well, good morning, Southcrest. How are we doing? You guys good? Awesome. Well, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. We're in the middle of our adulting series. We're going to pick up in 2 Peter chapter 1. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, uh, we're going to read here in just a moment. Uh, before we get started, uh, I want to welcome our LaGrange campus. What's up, LaGrange? Welcome. We love you guys. Also, we want to welcome our online viewers on Facebook Live, man. Welcome. We hope you enjoy the service. And um, also, I want to thank Don Allensworth uh, for speaking two weeks in a row uh, for us. Don is an amazing guy, a good friend of mine and and the staff teams. He's been a member of our church for three years, and uh, he's a church consultant. Uh, You know, he helps churches through transitions. He's really helped us out. Uh, as well as a church, and uh, he also was able to help us speak and preach through uh, First Peter. And so I kind of made a mistake uh, giving him so much content. The first week he preached, he was like, Matt, I, I cannot do this in 30 minutes. It's impossible. You gave me three chapters. And so I was like, you got to get it done. Anyway, we stretched it out. We gave him two weeks so that we could do uh, First Peter justice, so we could speak properly on it. And so also, I want to encourage you, if you're not going through the devotionals, man, jump online, go to our website, southcrest.church, click on the media button, and we have a 16-day devotional that walks through First and Second Peter. And uh, if you want to go a little bit deeper, uh, that's a great way to do that. That was written by Randy Woodall. Uh, he's a member of our church. It's also designed in-house by Chad Cover. We're really proud of those things. So more to come, more of that to come. Uh, so we were very excited. All right, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, Second Peter chapter 1. I want to read this, and uh, then I want to set the stage with something, and then we're going to kind of dissect it and walk through it. Let's start at the beginning. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Verse two, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises Uh, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Verse 10, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, we are thankful for your word. God, we ask that you would uh, give us revelation today, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes, Lord, and uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just be with us. God, you're welcome in this room. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this room, and uh, we love you, and it's in your name I pray. 
Amen. Anybody in this room uh, would identify with being a forgetful person? Anybody, anybody in here? Raise your hand. Yeah, most members like, that's me, forgetful. I'm also very, very forgetful. Uh, I have no idea why I can't remember birthdays. No idea. I've been married 17 years, and I'm telling you, my anniversary sneaks up on me still. It's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's August the 5th already, you know? And so we forget to take our vitamins, and we forget to set alarms, and we forget to do our quiet times. We're forgetful people. And so I hopped online and began reading uh, some documents and some articles on the brain and why we forget. And this one guy, he lined out three different ways. He lined out more, but I just want to highlight three three reasons why we forget, and that first one is retrieval failure, okay? He calls it the decay theory, and this theory suggests that over time, our memory begins to fade and disappear. If the information isn't retrieved and rehearsed, it will eventually be lost. It's the reason why Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader is such a popular show. We have grown adults making, you know, fools of themselves on national television because they can't remember first and second grade questions. They don't know how to spell certain things or they don't know whatever. Man, it's hilarious, right? And uh, that's, that's why that show is so popular. Number two, he lined out, it's called interference theory. And this theory suggests that some memories compete or interfere with other memories. If information is similar to one thing or the other, like 365 International Park, which is our address, and then you learn something that's maybe 356 something, all of a sudden that information is very similar and so therefore it competes for space in your brain, interference. And then the last one he says is failure to store. Sometimes losing information has less to do with forgetting and more to do with the fact that it never made it into long-term memory in the first place. Encoding failures sometimes prevent information from entering long-term memory. Uh, For instance, the penny. Everybody knows what a penny is, right? I want you to draw a picture of the penny in your mind. Most of us are going to get the shape right, I hope. It's a circle. Um, the color, you'll get the color right, I hope, and then it may get a little fuzzy after that, like maybe you don't know who the president is. Which way is the president facing on there? What's inscribed to his left and his right? What's on the back of a penny? What's written above the picture on the back? See, we, we're all like, I don't know, I don't know. Because we only store enough information to help us distinguish it from the other coins, right? It's the copper one, right? It's the small one or whatever, We all live in a distracting world, right? We're distracted. We don't remember things. We're forgetful. And Peter, in verses 12 through 15, he's basically telling you about the power of a reminder. It's why we have cell phones. It's why my iPhone goes off like every hour telling me what I need to do next. I'm an adult and I need a device to tell me where to go next. Uh, It's why we have post-it notes. It's why we put stuff on our refrigerator. It's why we have calendars, right, for a reminder. And so this kind of sets the stage real quick in, in verse 12. And Peter says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in them. In the truth that you have now, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. 
He, Peter here is telling us that we need to remember and refresh our memory so we can live well. That's his heart. That's his desire in this passage is that we live a godly life and that we live well. In my personal reading time, I'm in the Old Testament. And amazing, man, stories are just coming to life for me, you know, highlighting them and underlining them. And there are many stories in the Old Testament of people that did not live well. They didn't end their life very well. Solomon, for one. He did amazing things for God, but in 1 Kings 11, we, we see that he turned his heart away from the Lord. Saul, right? Saul, man, he was ate up with jealousy and pride about David, and he was just lived a terrible life. But if you back up to the beginning of his story, we see that he was anointed and chosen. And so Peter is trying to say, hey, remember these things. Part of me thinks that these Old Testament stories are for us as a reminder to say, hey, don't get distracted. Hey, rehearse the things of the Lord. Rehearse the words of God. Rehearse the calling of God on your life. You need to remember, okay? Uh, We all need reminders to live the Christian life well. Reminders help us to keep our mind on the target, the mind on the target. So let's hop into verse number one, and we're going to break these down over the next few minutes. I am super pumped, so if I talk fast, I'm sorry. I'm just so excited about this passage right here. Give me some grace, okay? First Peter, uh, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter one, verse one in second Peter. See, I told you. Uh, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Peter's coming out of the gate identifying himself as a bondservant, as a slave to Jesus Christ. He does not come under his authority. He's under the authority of Jesus Christ, and he's an apostle. Basically, he's saying, hey, I'm under the authority of Jesus Christ, and I have a message to tell you. He's talking to Christians, and he's setting the record straight out of the gate. What he is saying is is that our faith is a gift from God and God alone. You and I can't conjure up and and produce salvation. We We can't produce this faith in and of ourselves. No, 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 no. He's saying it's a gift from Jesus Christ. It's that faith that is necessary for salvation. You and I can't produce it. It's his and his alone. So if you're a Christian in this room today, you have received this faith as a gift. You did not earn it. You cannot earn it. It's not the way it works. And he talks about how it's a precious gift where we, it's equal privilege uh, that God gives to all believers. And in our faith and our salvation, it's rooted, it's rooted in the righteousness of God. It's his gift, not our doing. We can't earn this thing. He's setting the record straight. He, he moves on into verse number two. Peace in, I'm sorry, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter's saying, hey, Christians, wake up. Hey, listen up. You have this opportunity for grace and peace to grow in your life. And the way that that happens is through our knowledge of God. The vehicle of grace and peace growing in our life It's through us knowing more and more about Jesus and spending time and growing in a relationship, right? The the idea of grace, charis, right, is God's favor and his kindness. And this idea of peace here has to do with prosperity and rest and perfect well-being, freedom from fears. How many of you, you guys think that sounds pretty amazing? 
Like you want that stuff to grow in your life. You want to stop being crippled by the fears that, that, that control you each and every day that you wake up. Maybe you're afraid to share Jesus or whatever fear you're dealing with. Listen, Peter gives us the key here for that stuff to grow in our life. And it comes through the knowledge of God. You see, this knowledge of God, it kind of is a two-part, right? This knowledge is deposited into our lives when we become a Christian. But it's supposed to grow beyond our conversion. It's supposed to grow each and every day of our Christian life. It goes back to what Don said. He said, hey, we need to get beyond our salvation but never over it. We We have a responsibility to grow in our knowledge of God. We could say it like this, grace and peace grows in our lives in proportion to our pursuit of God. That's what he's saying. So let me ask you this question, are you pursuing God? Each and every day do you wake up and say, I'm a Christian, I have this amazing gift of faith that he's given me, I have this belief, this salvation, I've got to pursue him each and every day. Or let me ask you this way, is your life full of chaos, <laughs> non-peace, the opposite of peace and grace, you know? Maybe that's lagging in your life because maybe you're not growing in your knowledge of Jesus. So he moves on in verse number three. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. He he pulls that idea again. Who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by by evil desires. Guys, this is amazing news. Peter's lining out this idea that we have this, these resources available to us. The actual power of the living God is at our fingertips. He gives us everything that we need to live a godly life, and it comes through his power. And the way that we tap into this power each and every day is to get to know him, to spend time with him, to grow It's important. It's very, very important. You understand that uh, this knowledge, I want to break this down for just a second. This knowledge includes head knowledge, intellect, that's important. But more importantly, it's heart. Knowledge of God is head and heart together. You can't separate them. You can't have one without the other. You have to grow in a relationship with him. You have to get to know him. You have to pray. You have to spend time with him. You've got to dig into his word. You're learning things for head knowledge, but it also has to change your life. It's very, very important. So basically what he's breaking down in verse 3 is that knowing God equals having everything that we need to live this godly life. It's incredible. You see, the call to godliness um, is, is rooted and secured in, in and by his grace. You and I, we don't become godly on our own. We come, God makes us godly. But we have a responsibility to pursue it and to grow. And he's given us this amazing gift to tap into. A godly life is possible not because of us, but because of his goodness. He gives us everything that we need. God equips us to be godly. It's this idea that God never requires something from you that he hasn't already equipped you for. Many of you may think, I can't live a godly life. Are you kidding me? There's no way. This list of things that he's telling me to do, it's impossible. Well, yeah, you can because you're not doing it. It's his gift, right? It's his gift. And we can grow in that and we can tap into his power. It's incredible. Verse four, I love it how he kind of describes this idea that we have an escape route. 
We can escape the corruption of the world because we belong to him because he's called us into his family. We know that if we sow to the flesh, it reaps corruption. But if we sow to the spirit, if we grow in knowledge of God, if we become more and more like him, if we're sowing, we will reap eternal life. We have an escape route and Peter lines the how-to out for us. Step by step by step. It's, it's easy. It's amazing. He lines it out. It's not, it's not ambiguous. It's very clear right here. Verse five, let's move on. He says, uh, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. You see what Peter's doing here, he's lining out in verses one, two, three, and four, he's saying that faith is a gift from God He's saying that God, a godly life is rooted in, uh, in dependent upon God's grace. And then in verse 5, he flips the script. He says, because of this amazing thing, you have a responsibility. Because he's given us everything that we need, we have a responsibility as Christians to add to our faith right? This is not a works righteousness thing. Listen, you cannot earn your salvation. You have to receive that from God. Adding to our faith is built upon the foundation that it's his gift of faith, and we have to believe, okay? That's very important. So you and I, we should live a godly life each and every day. Why? Because he's given us everything we need for it. Pretty clear, right? Pretty simple, very simple. You know, Peter, he's basically calling the Christian out. He's calling us onto the carpet and saying, hey, because you were saved, you're not called to this moral relaxation like, well, I'm saved. Cross my feet and watch football until Jesus comes back, Lord. You know, go Alabama or whatever it is you, you root for, right? Go Eagles or pay it Pats. I don't know who's, who's up. That's not what God's called us to. If you're saved by Jesus, you have a responsibility to pursue virtue with energy, with intensity, that's our responsibility for this reason. He says it very clearly. I think he would have put that in all caps and underlined it and put a couple exclamation points on the end of it. So he goes through this list. Hey, because you have this gift, because we've received this faith, we have a responsibility, and that responsibility is this, and he goes through it. Goodness, right? We, we had a TV up here, but it broke first service. I'm sorry. Um, goodness equals, more, you know, basically means moral excellence and virtue. Oh, they got it up there. Excellent. Um, perfection. And as we develop goodness, we're to exercise knowledge, which is rooted in God's grace, uh, which is wisdom and intelligence and, and doctrine. And, and as we're developing in knowledge, we're to add to ourselves self-control. Self-control is this idea of self-mastery and self-restraint, telling your flesh no. <laughs> That's hard, man. It's a little difficult, man. You've got to tell yourself no. Self-restraint, and as you're developing that, you're to add to it perseverance, which is endurance and steadfastness. You know, it's not good enough to tell yourself no once, right? (laughs) You need to do it over and over and over, steadfastness, patiently waiting for. Godliness, man, as you're developing perseverance, you develop and you become, you know, like God, which is reverence and a devotion to him. And as you're developing that, you exercise mutual affection, which is brotherly love, love for Christian brothers and sisters. Listen, 
we are a humongous family. We consume the entire earth. There are Christians everywhere. We are not against the other church down the road. We are not against the, the different denomination that may do something a little bit different. If any Christian, if any person believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, listen, that's your brother and sister. That's your brother and sister, and we're called to love them. We're called to love them. And then finally, as you're developing that, you, you add love, which is dear love, charity, affection, benevolence. It's important, guys. We're, this is our responsibility. You know, as I was studying this out, many scholars believe that, that this progression is important to note out. And, and one, one guy says that faith is the root of all moral goodness, and such goodness is linked to what we do with our knowledge of God. And if we use this knowledge well, we will exercise self-control. Such self-control gives us the ability to endure difficulties. Endurance then leads to godliness in our relationships. And then these relationships will be governed by brotherly affection and Christian love. That progression, you know, we need to be developing all of these. He's not saying work on one and master it and then go on to the next one. No, they need to be developing in our life. You see, love, I don't think it's any mistake that this is the last, the pinnacle, right? Love is truly the pinnacle of faith expressed. God is love, and if we love one another, if we love the lost, if we love our coworker, our family member that doesn't know, we're going to be pointing them to Jesus because something is different in our life. You see, love is the supreme evidence that you belong to God. It's love. That's what we need to get to. It's what we're supposed to be striving for, to be, you know, becoming more and more like God. Moving on to verse number eight, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. I love verse eight, man. This is also great news. Peter doesn't say you have to be perfect in all these areas. He's not saying you have to have all of this perfect. You got to have this lined out. No, he is saying the good news is that you and I, we can start today. If these things are growing and increasing in measure in our life each and every day, that's the point. No matter if you've been a Christian for 60 years or six minutes, no matter if you're old or young, it doesn't matter. We all can grow. We all can become more and more like Jesus. We can work towards adding to our faith these things that we're called to add. Peter's not beating us up here. He's not saying, how dare you, Christian, you're terrible. No, he's not saying that at all. He's empowering us to recognize what God has given us. And then he's speaking out and saying, now we have a responsibility. Build on it. Don't miss out. Build on this thing. There's no way that you and I can have an incredible life outside of this. No matter how much money, stuff, things, whatever. We are missing it if we don't do this. Why would you, why, why would I miss out on an opportunity to tap into the power of God and have an incredible life? All I got to do is get to know him. All I got to do is spend time. All I got to do is grow. Why would I miss out on that? Why? Guys, he's calling us. He's pleading with us saying, please. He uses these strong words, ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge. You know, you can know a lot about Jesus and be pretty stinking ineffective kind of crazy right 
You can sit through a million Bible studies. You can know Greek, Hebrew. You can have this joker memorized. And you can be ineffective and unproductive. Because it's not just about head knowledge. It's not about learning and intellect. It has to trickle into who we are. It has to bleed into our actions, right? It has to bleed into what we do. Going on, verse number nine, he gives us big warning. He's saying, hey, but whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You see, I have been here a million times in, in my relationship with Jesus, and, and I'm learning and, and I'm growing in, in this, this passage and in this truth. But if you're struggling in your faith, if you, if you are, are waning in your faith or you're struggling in your faith, I may could point you to this passage right here and say, maybe these things aren't growing in your life. Maybe you're not adding to your life these things, right? So if you're struggling in here, I want you to identify with, that, with this right now, right now in your heart and in your mind. Say, man, maybe I'm struggling because I'm not growing in my faith. Because that's what Peter is saying right here. Saying blindness or that purposeful uh, closing of your eyes, forgetting that you have been forgiven of your sins. Listen, the most important thing that you can do each and every day is to wake up and say, God, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for this gift of faith and salvation. God, it comes from you and I can't do anything to earn it, right? He moves on to kind of this climax, this, this pinnacle moment of this passage, I think, in verses 10 and 11. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, next part is really important, right? You will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This idea of confirm means to walk where it is solid. Put your feet on solid ground where it is unshakable and firm. I have been many, many times in my life, I've dealt with, with unbelief or doubt or I've questioned my salvation. If I was to ask everybody to raise their hand in here to say, hey, have you ever questioned your salvation? Have you ever struggled in your faith? All of us probably would put our hands up in the air to say, yeah, I've done that. That's probably because you have built your relationship with Jesus on what you do versus on receiving God's gift. But what he is telling you to do is important here. He's saying, hey, confirm your calling. Confirm your calling. And the promise of that, if you do these things that he's asking you to do right here, you will never stumble. That idea of stumble means to abandon the faith, to walk away from God, kind of like what we were talking about you know, uh, you will not fall if you're doing this, if you're adding to your faith each and every day, right? If you understand ultimately that faith comes from God and that he gives us this amazing gift to live a godly life through his power, and if we add to our faith, that's the steps, one, two, three. If we do that, listen, we'll never stumble. And verse 11 says, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. How amazing is that? That we're going to be welcomed, a rich welcome into heaven. A rich welcome into heaven. I believe that 2 Peter chapter 1 is truly the, the crux of this, of this sermon series of how to have a grown-up faith. It's truly the, the how-to guide of our Christian walk. 